The Ringer's Dave Hill takes you on a journey into the underground lives and careers of six professional gamblers. This eight-part podcast is a unique look into the gambling world that you don't want to miss. Check out Gamblers on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability, no system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. It is the Ring NFL Show, part of the Ring Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined by Noah Princiati. Noah, the Super League came and went. What was your favorite Super League memory? Texting a bunch of my friends who follow soccer much more closely than I do being like, what's going on and having them explain it to me. And I'm not kidding. Four times in that process, somebody compared Tottenham to the Jets. I think that's unfair, but I do. I I, I do enjoy. (laughs) I don't know. uh, I have no background in this, but just as, as my friends who are more soccer interested than I am, were attempting to put this in terms that I could understand. I noticed a trend, which is that that happened a lot. Yeah, I think the best analogy that a lot of people were making was it would be like if Duke, UNC, Kansas, Kentucky, and a couple other teams just started their own March Madness. That would that would be probably... There's no... I think that the thing that people made a mistake on the last couple of days was comparing European sports to American sports at all. Like, I just... They're not analogous in any way, shape, or form. But if that would be the closest thing. I still think it's a tortured analogy, but I do I do think that that's, that would be the closest thing. But the real Super League was the friends that we made along the way. And we have our own Super League because Thomas Dimitrov is joining us, former Atlanta Falcons general manager, two-time executive of the year, and great dude. Uh, we, we talked about a lot of things. Very good interview. I would branch off and form a Super League, just the three of us. That was really fun. I love talking to Thomas. He's so smart. He's so just like game for anything. So I'm I'm in if you want to do it. For our our three-person Super League? Our three-person Super League. We didn't ask Thomas about this. The we should $4 billion dollars per team presumably is available. And so now we can just say, we'll take that. We'll join the Super League. Awesome. Um, couple of odds and ends to get to before we get to Thomas. Um, Alex Smith retires. Uh, great career. Um, I think he, there's so much, it's almost like, you know, I, almost like a Forrest Gumpian type career. And as much as the, he, he touched every corner of football over the past decade and a half, um, first overall pick, um, obviously was not the best quarterback in that draft Aaron Rodgers was better, but still had a heck of a career grinded out a, you know, if, if you look at the stats for some of the the rookies who were trending down uh, in their first year, Alex Smith is definitely on that list. Uh, grinding out an amazing career, um, was super effective with with Jim Harbaugh. Um, obviously, had to make way for Colin Kaepernick. Great numbers under Andy Reid, and all of a sudden, he he mentors Patrick Mahomes into being the best quarterback in football. Incredible comeback, incredible career. You know, I thought it was funny a couple of years ago. I talked to Josh McDaniels and, or excuse me, Dan Mullen, and he was saying that when the Patriots were studying spread offense 06 and 07 to sort of unleash that 
that onto the NFL, a lot of what they were doing was they wanted to meet with Dan Mullen and look at the Alex Smith, Utah offense. Um, and so there's a lot, you know, we talk so much about the spread revolution. And I think a lot of it for good reason focuses on the early 2010s when all of a sudden, uh, the Panthers are running uh, plays from Auburn's playbook. The, the football team was running Baylor's playbook, all that stuff. But I do think the Alex Smith, Utah offense had was a little bit before that and had a little bit more to do with the catalyst in the very beginning. Um, obviously, the, the sport reinvented himself many times over. But I do think from a stylistic perspective, from an innovation perspective, from a great dude perspective, uh, great career Alex Smith. He loosened the jar. Yes, he he was. And, you know, the, I think the comeback for him, um, you know, I, I, I think most people now having seen the the video of it and the footage of it. Uh, did you see Ryan Fitzpatrick's story on Chris Long's podcast a couple days ago? Yeah. Yeah, where since a, so if the listener doesn't know, essentially Fitz sent him a text after he had a leg injury and Fitz was basically just like, you know, hey, I broke my leg. I was I was right right back at it after in no time. Don't worry about it. You'll, you'll be fixed right up. And he said, you know, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. And Fitz said he felt horrible about it, but, you know, <laughs> Thanks, whatever. Thanks, Fitz. But, Thanks, Vince. Uh, a couple of great dudes just texting. But I, I do think that um, his perseverance and as uncomfortable as we, you know, we wrote about it on this website. I think Roger Sherman wrote about it. Um, watching Alex Smith play football last year was a little bit uncomfortable because we saw the depths and the injuries that he had. And I think that uh, it was great for him to get back out there. I think he talked about how he wanted to do it for his kids and his family and, and both his entire family was at those games cheering last year. Um, so it was nice. It was just, just a, a, a nice career. Did you have uh, any interaction with, with Alex at all? Almost none. I remember when he got traded to Washington was pretty soon, not that soon because it was during Super Bowl week, but it was that season was after uh, the off season where I'd worked in Washington. And I just remember being friends with, you know, a lot of those beat guys and sort of milling about somewhere um, in Minnesota, which is where the Super Bowl was that year, and just seeing them all kind of have to spring into action and almost being a little bit like just having a sliver of FOMO because he's a cool guy and he's a really interesting guy, really interesting career. And I just remember being like, all right, I'm really glad that it's like 8.30 at night. I'm really glad that I don't have to go report a story right now. But this is going to be interesting for those guys to cover. and. It was interesting in maybe some different ways than anybody anticipated, but that turned out to be true. The one thing about Alex Smith that I've heard from a bunch of people I actually wrote about it a couple of years ago is that he's the king of TV recommendations in locker rooms. Like everybody, <laughs> there were, and I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking like, so he was on the Chiefs and Chase Daniel was in Philadelphia. And all of a sudden, Alex Smith, I forget what the, it was like. He loves the expanse. He was into black sales. He was into Silicon Valley, all this stuff. So he's given Chase Daniel TV recommendations. And then Chase gives them to the Eagles locker room. And then it spreads. Like he was the TV concierge for, for large parts of the NFL. That's the real spread offense. Uh, anything, uh, anything else, you know, uh, Devontae Smith comes in at 166 pounds, according to, uh, the medical, medical rechecks. Um, we've talked about it on this podcast. You know, Mike Tannenbaum has said that it's, it is a concern. Uh, other folks have said it's not a concern. Devontae Smith himself was on this podcast and said he plays big. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, anything there with the weight that, that you think is, uh, is worth noting? Well, just if it's me, I'm, I'm worried about it. If, if it's me, I'm not making the pick. Unless he starts to fall, 
you know, because the production's incredible. The talent is incredible. But we've had conversations with a bunch of people over the last few weeks, a bunch of people with evaluation experience. And one thing that's come up a lot that's really stuck with me is when you're talking about, you know, the top half of the first round, those size, weight, speed things, they... They can feel overblown because sometimes we'll spend nine years this time of year talking about hand size and things that can be a little bit silly and which offensive lineman's arms are a quarter of an inch longer than the others. But this is a collision sport. And I would be genuinely concerned about drafting a guy with that frame that high. And it's sort of unfair, right? Because, I mean, I guess he can, you know, try to bulk up as much as possible. But there's, to an extent, nothing he can do about it. And he's done everything that he possibly can to put himself in a great situation to not only be drafted relatively high, but help a team. But I'm just at the point, the more that I look at it, the more that I talk to people and think about it, I just wouldn't do it in the top, I don't know, 10, 8 picks or something. I, I, I would just be too genuinely concerned about how does this body type interact with the actual game of football? I think he does play big. I do have concerns with him at the tippy top of the draft, but I would like him on my team if the value is right. I do. The closer he gets to my own measurements, which he's pretty much there at this point, the more concerned I get. <laughs> right. Right. That's just imagining what it would be like <laughs> if I, if I was out there, that that is a, that is a concern for my prison. But I, I, I still think as we said, he can, he has everything else. And so I think a team, a team can take a chance uh, if once he starts slipping a little bit. And I think it's, it, it's going to be fine. Um, all right, let's get to Thomas. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Joined now by two-time sporting executive, sporting news executive of the year, the first ever Ringer NFL show guest to have the BBC World News on in the background <laughs> as we record. And one of our favorite people in football, Thomas Dimitrov. What's going on, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? We're doing okay. We're doing okay. We're, we're almost at the finish line of what I would say, Thomas, is probably the craziest time to follow the NFL just because there's so much going on here. I, I want to start with that because you did... 13 drafts as a general manager. Obviously, you were with the Patriots before that. Uh, you have an intimate knowledge of the inner workings of, of everything that goes on with the football team. Now that you're watching it from just a, you know, following with the media, obviously you have connections with teams, but you are looking at it from the outside looking in. Uh, what is the biggest thing that you've learned or that surprised you just from your vantage point over the past couple of months, Thomas? Well, I look, I mean, you, you can't overlook the obvious. I mean, here we are going into a draft all these organizations, team builders going into a draft with so much uncertainty as far as 
all-star games, as far as season play, as far as, you know, combine interviews, the way that we used to do them. You have to remember personnel, people, team builders, GMs and coaches, creatures of habit. And it's very complicated for people to think we are going to build a team at whatever level you are. We're going to put our asses on the line with our opinions about players. And ultimately, we don't have all the information that we would like. At least we, we think that, right? Sometimes we have to like uh, rise above that. And that's, that's been something that I've been amazed at. That idea, along with these major gaps within the draft research and analysis of players who just are really good players and would have been unbelievably, um, well, exponentially better, but also clearer pictures of what teams wanted, but there's gaps. And those gaps are complicated. What's the biggest gap that would make you uncomfortable as far as the knowledge goes with, with this crop of, of prospects? Look, there is no way in the world that any general manager slash or head coach team builder would say they're not uncomfortable with, you know, uh, season gaps. I mean, especially when you're talking about a quarterback who is talented in a lot of ways, who has played maybe one game in 15 months. Is that what, what's Trey? Yeah. What was Trey Lance? One game. Just about yep. that. Yep. Played one yeah. game. That's a, Central that's a Arkansas. big deal. And I know that seems obvious, but those are big deals when you're sitting in draft rooms and you're getting ready for the draft and you have pieces missing. And I'm going to, you know, as a general manager, I'm looking around the, the table of 20 scouts and I'm going to the area scout. I'm going to the regional scout and the national scout, and I'm trying to pop them for information and they don't have the answers. And I know that they're very adept at what they do. That is uncomfortable. Not just because someone was out partying and didn't get his job done. Cause that's not, that wasn't ever our staff, but the reality is they're, they're, they're trying like hell to get the information, but they can't. So Kevin, I would say like, that is a big, big deal. That is, of course, you're trying to figure out that combined with maybe someone who's also been plagued with injuries and just, it just continues to build. Not to put you on the spot, but since we're talking about Trey Lance a little bit, how would you look at him with basically one season's worth of production? And then that essentially 15 month gap with, with one game, not his best. How would you synthesize what's available there? Well, look, I, I think it depends if, you know, what your quarterback situation is as a general manager. I want to make this very clear, as you all know, you know, no revelation. Of course, I'm no longer the GM for the number four pick. Uh, <laughs> but that said, when you have a quarterback there who is, I think, a championship caliber quarterback that could win a championship uh, with uh, the proper and appropriate play calling offensive system in place. Um, I really believe that a player like Trey Lance, and this isn't me saying that I'm going to take Trey Lance as a number four pick, but I would say in that situation, it would be much easier to think we have a guy like Matt Ryan who could continue to school this quarterback who has limited experience, a la Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. I don't think in any way it would be four years before then, but what a, what an amazing situation to be in. Amazing is probably melodramatic, but what a good situation to be when you're in, in that set. So I think it really depends on what your quarterback situation is. If you're looking for someone to come in right away and to impact right away, that becomes complicated and it becomes a situation where your head coach and your, your, your GM have to be very creative with the players they put around this new quarterback and, you know, again, systematically how they approach, uh, approach the offense. 
You drafted Matt Ryan as your first pick, actually, with the Falcons. Um, obviously, when you draft a top five or even top 10 or even you know top 15 quarterback, there's so much that goes into it because it's not just a position. It's not like drafting a defensive end because a star quarterback, it, once he becomes a star, almost becomes the mayor of a town, right? Like if Patrick Mahomes runs Kansas City, Lamar Jackson runs Baltimore. I mean, like these guys, Josh Allen is the most popular person. Is If you go about uh, one mile north of Westchester, he, he has the entire state, okay? Like, that that's Josh Allen right now. Um, when you're scouting a a quarterback that you know is going to be the face of the franchise, what goes into that? And, and we're going to start with the skill set and all that stuff and, and just how you go about even scouting that as, as separate from everything else. But then the personality of it and, and just, just what goes in that we would know about to dra- drafting a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. Well, look, on, on the franchise quarterback, of course, you know, you guys have heard this time and again. You go as your quarterback goes, et cetera, et cetera. We've heard that for many years. And honestly, I've been part of, you know, uh, protracting on that, on that um, uh, topic many, many times, only because the reality is we know how important that is. And we know that there are many aspects, and from system to system, coach to coach, organization to organization, they may rank the skill set that they're looking for. You know, it, it, you could go round and round. You get you get who are perceived as the gurus of the quarterback position, and they may have five other orders of how they look at, you know, how they would evaluate the quarterback. I, I want to make one thing clear. For me, having been in New England around Tom Brady prior to getting to um, uh, to Atlanta and, and picking Matt Ryan, you know, back in 08, that was big for me to be around the so-called best ever. I really do believe he is the best ever, and and although he's been – he was our villain in, in 16 to probably help oust me out of my job, but that's a whole other situation. I do like Tom a lot. I, I think the world of him, but I think looking at him and watching how he functioned within that organization made me realize, yes, we need accuracy. Yes, we need decision-making. Yes, we need, of course, intelligence at so many levels. Um, no question we need the appropriate amount of arm strength to get the balls to different parts of the field for sure. But I think, you know, and oftentimes people ask me and and you and I have talked about this, what are things that people outside of, of, you know, an organization might not think about or might not be as focused on. And this comes back to leadership. This comes back to uh, awareness. This comes back to how, how they are as a team player. And it's a very, very important thing. You could have strong arm, big time accuracy, but if you're a jughead or you're a you're a I, I don't want to start swearing on your your podcast because I know you, you can swear sometimes, Please. but yeah. But if you have a d bag that's involved, that's a tough situation to be in, right? When when you have someone out there who has all these attributes but they don't have the team, and what I'm talking about is I'm not just talking about the receivers and the running backs and maybe the O line. I'm talking about the entire team. I'm talking about being able to interact with all people within the organization, especially on the field with your coaching staff, to be able to communicate, that is wildly important. And so you start looking at this and you start, you know, this this is probably a segue into Trevor Lawrence and all of this banter about whether his recent comments are something that would affect uh, general managers or teams. Maybe some, some that are are myopic and don't understand the importance of being well-rounded and grounded. I'm a big believer in that. And you can look back on that and we can have that conversation right now. You could look back on Tom Brady, as great as he is and as unbelievably focused as he seems. 
Aaron Rodgers, who is unbelievable at so many levels, focused and intelligent, just like Tom, Peyton Manning, you know, for that matter, Matt Ryan, all of those guys and many, many more have multiple layers to their life. They may not articulate it as much outright because to me personally, that generation of quarterbacks were a little more reserved and, and going farther back, not to share their, their public uh, share with the public as much about their personal lives because they want to be perceived as wholly myopic and wholly focused. The reality is anyone in my mind that's truly worth what you're looking for as a full, well-rounded leader of a football team has to understand different elements. That idea of not being like so hung up on just football, live and die, and I wouldn't be able to focus on life outside of it, to me, doesn't lend itself to making good decisions not only on the field, uh, within the organization, with his interaction with his teammates, and honestly, the resiliency that you expect from a quarterback. If they're not rounded and not grounded, they're not being resilient in my mind. Or they may be here and there, but it's not consistent. With Matt in particular, um, obviously, they've reworked the contract. They've committed to him, at least in the short term. What needs to go right for him to win a Super Bowl? Look, I'm, I, be- I believe uh, that put Matt in the right situation, continue to build around him. I think that offensive line continues to, to, to get better. Now they lost Alex Mack, of course, trying to figure out who that center position is going to be, continue to get the young guys growing on the right side. So get that offensive line set, you know, in, in the situation right now, continue, you know, they have one tight, tight end there and Hayden Hurst. I believe he's a really good athlete, continue to potentially build there. That's not me saying take a tight end at four, believe me. That's a whole other situation. Not that that guy, obviously, he, you know, we know that he is, Pitts is, is fantastic in a lot of ways. Get the running back situation there set up. And unfortunately, last year, that didn't play out well for us slash them. And um, I think Matt ultimately get, get the new head coach in there who has a really firm understanding of what he wants offensively. Get Matt in a situation where he's getting the ball out of his hands. Okay, I'm going to say it. Go back to the days of Coach Shanahan, who had a really good feel and get, when I said earlier on, get the appropriate uh, play calling, the appropriate offense revolving around Matt Ryan. And I think he can take it to the, take it the distance. So you've talked about the need to build around Matt Ryan and then also what a great situation it might be to bring in a young quarterback and let him study behind him for a little bit. When you look at a draft like this that has five quarterbacks that could go in the top half of the first round, how do you kind of overlay the vertical board and the horizontal board there? Where if you wait it out and maybe don't take a quarterback, you could get a really, really, really premier talent at a different position. But then you have to square that with all the advantages that getting it right at that position can provide for everybody else on the team. When you look at the top part of the first round of this draft, how do those things fit together for you? Well, look, I think, you know, Nora, that, that, you know, again, when you're talking about a quarterback, when you're talking about building a franchise, you know that um, you have certain things in place there that you're, you're quite happy with, especially offensively within, that, within an organization. When you're talking about the opportunity to build around a quarterback, how important it is. You have to, I'm, I'm a big believer in mapping out like most people would be. This isn't, again, a, a revelation, but being able to map out, stack your stack your quarterbacks, understand what they bring to your organization, understand the the length of time that you per, perceive it's going to be before they really hit stride, 
I think you start, you juxtapose the quarterbacks with the talent that's going to be potentially there at your pick, whether one, two, three, four or five or beyond, you know, of course you start, uh, you know, factoring in the idea while you're looking at the quarterbacks, juxtaposing them with other positions and strengths that you may get. You also really start thinking about the whole idea of trading back. Everyone says, well, trade, trade the F back. What are we talking about here? I mean, let's trade back. It's easy. Get back into, you know, Denver and beyond. It's not that easy, especially when you're moving up to, again, I'll play around the four area, but when you're talking about moving up to four or five or whatever it may be, that's complicated. It, it, it takes a lot. And, and, and a lot of times you may be talking. I don't know how many times I work the phones prior to drafts and in the middle of drafts, worked my butt off to try to work trades. That area is funky, complicated. You have a lot of people that say they may be interested, Nora, but in the end, they're like, ah, let's just stay with what we have. Too often that seemed to be the case. So I was often, um, I guess, criticized for, for always being a trade up guy. There are many times that I looked and I was contemplating trading back, but there are so many layers and so many scenarios that play out that prevent someone from trading back that it's not that easy. So back to your original question, there you are with your quarterbacks, there you are with your other positions, and you realize hopefully the, you know, San Fran, uh, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Miami aren't going to be up in that area long, of course. That's, you continue to hear that as a GM you say that publicly as well, just so everyone knows that. You say it so your owner starts to believe it. You say it so your fan base starts to believe it. And deep down, you're like, my God, we better believe this. This better be the case or <laughs> I won't be here long. So there's a lot playing into it, of course. And, and you know, to, to set that board up is very, very important that you have it right. And of course, what may be right for one team may, may not be exactly right for another, which segues into the, the conversation about you know, is San Francisco really hung up on one quarterback from Alabama or do they have a couple other guys? And we can we can get into that as well when you guys want to talk about that, of course. We want to talk about it right now. I do want to say that you said you don't want to curse on this podcast, but you are the first person to say the phrase D-bag, which I appreciate. We're just we're, we're all about breaking, having firsts here, pioneers here. It's first for us, really? Um, I think so. But you don't really know the, the definition of D-bag and we could get into that conversation. Because I, you know, I, in football, to, in football scouting terms, I have no idea. You never. It's one of those things inside the building and outside the building. They they, they mean different things. Um, okay. With San Francisco in particular, obviously, you were the general manager for for Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. It was different because you were not looking for a quarterback. Everyone knew who the quarterback was going to be, and and he turned Matt Ryan into one of uh, the the best players in football at that point. Um, help us out here because there's been so much debate over whether or not Mac Jones is the quote unquote. Kyle Shanahan quarterback or what that even looks like. Just start big picture. What is a Kyle Shanahan quarterback? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to answer for Kyle. All I will say about Kyle, Kevin, is he is, he has an unbelievable knowledge of his system. And what I was really, I wasn't even taken aback. I was really enamored with the idea of a coach coming in as an offensive coordinator when he came in to work with us and his understanding of a scheme that no one could touch. I'm sure probably couldn't touch by the time he was 12 years old, sitting with his dad as much as he did, with an unbelievably lucid understanding of what he is looking for at every position. That, to me, is the key. There are so many coordinators. So, sorry, let me not exaggerate. There are a number of coordinators out there and position coaches who think they know what they want for their system, but then they add precariousness in it because there are some wishy-washy elements to it. I don't believe that is the way with Kyle Shanahan. 
which, you know, again, makes a lot of sense why he and John Lynch decided to make a massive move as, as they did. I mean, in my mind, Kyle had Matt Ryan, who was a stand, stand tall in the pocket guy with, with adequate mobility with, within a certain range. But of course he wasn't, he wasn't some of the really athletic quarterbacks. He could pull it down and go a few yards when he needed to. I think Kyle has a real um, interest in players who have a really good understanding of the system. Intelligence is important for Kyle. His, um, again, not to speak for him, but, you know, like uh, most of the very good and, and unbelievable coaches in this league over the years, their tolerance for a lack of focus and a lack of understanding of a system is something that is, is complicated for them to, to um, you know, to have patience with, I'd say. So I think that's a very important part. I'm not saying he needs to have the most athletic guy. I mean, we saw, I mean, how many years did he have RG uh, three in, in, in Washington? Two or three. Two. He got hurt. Obviously he got hurt. Obviously after, after the first one. Right. But had, but had an unbelievable athlete there. He's yeah. had, he's had very good athletes. He's had other guys who were, were solid athletes. He's had other ones who are more average athletes. I really do believe the understanding of the game, the understanding of the system is going to be really, really important for him. He's done the same thing as his dad did, unbelievably so. Taking running backs who are a little bit more down the line running backs and tight ends that you'd think like, wow, this, this guy is not a top five pick or top five round pick. He, you know, he's taken those pieces and put them together to see how they fit. Synonymous, on, honestly, with Bill Belichick, who has a really good understanding and I believe there are similarities where they believe they know the one, two, and three things that are vitally important. And maybe they don't possess the other three things that, you know, the, the well-rounded all, all world guy has, but those three things are vital to their system and they'll go with it and they'll capitalize on it. There I do see the, the similarity between Bill and, and, uh, and Kyle. So in the end, to answer your question, I think there are many layers. I think Kyle is a lot more open so he has a real understanding of a handful of things that are, are vital for him to pick. And, you know, at that pick, he, he has a very good feeling of who his number one shot is. It's not, but I think he has other options. If you had to guess, who is it? I mean, I, I, I'm swayed by everything out there about Mac Jones, yeah, of course. Me but too. I, there, is, there is no way, and I, I want to stress this, as a team builder, head coach, GM, you're not going in to a draft after moving up as you do, Kevin, and not knowing that there is an option because what happens, what happens if, you know, the jets don't take who they think that, you know, we right. think they're going to take, right. you have to have scenarios. You have to have it. And I've said this before in other situations in that room, when you're the boss and you take someone, you better be very happy. And, and the morale can take a quick dive. If they see on your face, or in the energy that there was a wah, wah, wah moment. That's a bad place to start a season off with. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 
37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. We mentioned Bill Belichick and obviously there's been some debate about whether or not how much he trusts his scouts or and how, you know, his, his recent drafting uh, track record and, and all that. And we can put that aside for a second because one thing that's fascinating to me is, you know, you came up uh, in this industry talking about Belichick about evaluating players and all that stuff. And I'm curious, just from watching a a football player, and obviously you're a lifer, um, you've been in this, you and I talked about this, you've been looking at football players since you were four years old. Uh, but when you're watching players with Bill Belichick, what's the top thing you learned? Bill was always very, very direct and straight about what was vitally important for our team. One of the reasons why back in, in, in 11, when I got on the phone with Bill prior to the draft and he had his opinions about the move up for Julio Jones, what always resonated in my mind was the many years of being around him, knowing that we, the people involved, especially the people at the top, involved in that organization, running that organization, know their organization better than ever and better than anyone else, media, their owner, the coaching staff. We know the direction. So like Dan Quinn and I knew the direction of our team much more than anyone else. People knew spots within the organization, but only the real true team builders know what is the best for the organization. That's what, that's what Bill I, I felt like Bill made sure that that was very clear over the years that I was with him. I remember a story one time, which had to do with this. I remember when we were watching Lawyer Malloy, it was my first year there and, and I was responsible. Uh, you know, I, it was much to my chagrin at first because I knew it was Bill's area, but I was responsible for the safeties. It's where I really started doing a lot of defense. <laughs> oh, no. and I thought, oh, that's my a gosh. pressure. That's a pressure cooker. We're sitting in there in the draft room and, and we're going over, you know, the different players at the roster. And he, he just bought up, brought up lawyer. And it was a, without getting into a ton of detail on the conversation, it was a tough spot. Here I am coming in, you know, my first year there, of course, I had a, quite a bit of experience, but you know, you, you have a guy there who is a very talented football player in an organization that, you know, is run by one of the, arguably the very best in the world at, at you know, as a football coach. And he's asking your opinion about one of his studs. And I remember going off saying, oh, lawyers, this, this, and this. He's very good. He has this. And I remember uh, without getting the detail, you know, Bill saying, are you sure? You know, it was, it started <laughs> to be put me in that, like, this was when Bill decided it was time to move on uh, from lawyer. But I remember that conver conversation. I thought there's no way going forward that you can ever BS. You have to be true. You have to, you have to compare yeah. it to your team that you're looking at. Wow. Um, with the direction of the team thing, I, th I thought that was an interesting phrase you used because oftentimes we look at a team and say, oh, these are the needs or this is where this team's going to be in two years or, oh, they're planning for the future in three years, whatever it is, they're not trying to win this year. What do you think? I know we're, we're painting with broad strokes here, but what do you think is the biggest thing the media and fans get wrong when they're trying to guess 
uh, a team's direction? Is it not? Is it emphasizing certain positions over others? Is it? Is it? Is it just looking at the the big picture wrong? Is it not understanding you know pressure from ownership or whatever it is? Any place you can go, want to go with this, you can. But when we're 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 talking about where a team is going, what do we normally get wrong? Well, that's a, I mean, that's multi-layered for sure, Kev. You were saying you can go anywhere. I mean, yes, one hundred percent. There there are ownership pressures and you know organization pressures that people don't understand i mean they probably understand from afar but when they get into it and when you're really looking at this these drafts and these mock drafts and you guys are on here talking with such great energy there are other elements when you're in that chair that that become complicated of course as a head coach and a general manager and again the ownership thing is big ownership has a lot of strong opinions about what they want whether they've given the keys to that and that general manager or not to acquire, they have, there is no question. Why, how can you not? How can you not be a billionaire plus many times over and not have a feeling about how you want your team to be? So that is something that is very important. It's why communication with your owner is, is vital. I was very fortunate to have an owner that I was able to communicate very clearly with. Arthur was very direct about, about elements within the organization that were important to him. And I was, again, appreciative of that. There are some that are a little bit more, you know, you might find something out somewhere else. And that's unfortunate. So that's one element that is very important. When you're talking about the, the direction of the organization, again, back to knowing your organization, we are looking two, three, four years ahead, which some you know people in the media and fan base may not be looking. They're thinking here and now, this is a not for long league. This is what you need to do. That's another part of it that we spent a lot of time with Kevin on from the standpoint of you know, analytics, projecting out what we have, what we will have, how we're even projecting the players to be, okay, are they going to be around two or three more years or one more year, which is very difficult to project. Sometimes you can get caught up in overthinking that, which is, which is unbelievably important. Look, the, 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 the uh, sort of, I don't call it the dirty little secret. We don't talk about it. There are character issues. There are of course, substance issues that you're dealing with. When you start talking about the teams, one of the things that I, I used to get really um, uh, sort of miffed about was all of the comments like the people that were getting A plus grades in the draft or the people that weren't, people that are getting C and D grades, the C and D grades sometimes were picking players that were the ideal fit for their system, not only on the field, but personality wise. There is no point in the world for a head coach to bring in a player that is a, a complete uh, jackass but is very talented, but it's going to be nothing but a pain in the ass for that coach and that staff. That is wildly important. And I think underplayed it at times. Of course, you know, you've seen it. There are players that come in and they may put one or two years in, and then all of a sudden years go by and they're no longer there. They haven't signed their second and third contract because they've been nothing but uh, a disruption to the organization. So that fit, though it seems a little bit simple, is very, very important. And it's not only the fit for the head coach and the, and the coordinators. You have to look at layers on that, Kevin. You have to look at who that position coach is. I'm not saying the position coaches are ruling, ruling the roost. Far from that. Even the coordinators. But if you have a head coach who is very dialed into his coaching staff and he knows his offensive coordinator and his linebacker coach, or sorry, defensive coordinator and linebacker coach don't like a specific player or do like a specific player, and as a general manager, you're you're moving away from that that idea because you didn't like him. That's a complicated uh, struggle within an organization. So the point is, there are many discussions at many levels. Ultimately, 
the person who has final say of acquisitions, which is usually general manager, is going to make the call. The last thing I'll say, when you make the call on that, on that player and, and you know deep down that you have a couple of coaches within the ranks that aren't fans, that becomes a whole other picture that you have to keep your eye on because in the end, if they're not pulling for that player, you're, you're going to be unsuccessful with your second round pick, whoever it may be. It's complicated. We got a D-bag and then we got a jackass. This is awesome. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. The, the vocabulary is really stretching here on the Ring NFL show. So 2011, you trade up to number six. And Michael Holley's told this story. It's, it's been told. Bill Belichick says he wouldn't have done the move. You're going from, I think, 27 to six. It's a huge swing to get Julio Jones. Um, obviously, you guys were coming off a, a good year. You made the playoffs, I think, twice in three years. Uh, but this was the move I think you thought was going to put uh, this this team into the NFC's elite. When you're taking a big swing like that, especially when it's happening very quickly, can you describe all of the? I'm sure you had some butterflies, but also just everything you're considering. I mean, did you feel like your your job was in the line of Julio busted? I mean, how how do you process that when you're taking a big swing in the draft? Because we see it all the time. I mean, we're gonna have obviously we've already had the Niners take a big swing. And I don't think that that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's job is on the line, but a lot is on the line if number three doesn't come through. Uh, we might have a situation where someone might trade up in the top 10. You know, maybe the Dolphins are open for business and we saw, you know, the Panthers are, uh, might do something here. But when you're taking a big swing in the draft, Thomas, how do you process that? What are the nerves like and what are the feelings like? Okay, so I would say I believe this. Uh, I'm, I'm adamant about the idea that you cannot sit on your hands in this league anymore as a team builder. I don't think it happens as much anymore. Yes, there are some conservative people a little more conservative than others. But I think as long as you're well thought, and you're studied and you have nowadays, I mean, we have so much more to go on with the analytics that are available from, from companies like Pro Football Focus. Like it's unbelievable what, what's at our fingertips. I know you're a big fan of analytics. And uh, of course, at, at many levels, whether it's MIT, it's like, you know, um, at the uh, symposium recently. You know, those ideas make our jobs that much better. And I love how we're evolving, by the way, as a league that we're able to use that. Right. So it's not just feeling it here. I'm feeling it here. It's in my gut, man. You just got to go for this guy. Owners aren't buying that anymore. I mentioned that recently. So I guess what I would say going into a situation like that with Julio, when I first looked at the compensation, I want to stress this. And I've, I've said this many times. It had me back on my heels. You know, I was thinking, wait a minute. Wow, this is big. But like anything, you start to become numb to it as you really start ruminating on the compensation. We did a lot of studying, again, on where the draft picks that we were we were about ready to give up, the success rates in those areas at, at many levels, not just, you know, this guy's a 14% chance of, of starting as a fourth rounder, but a lot of different layers on that. We're, those studies were really important for me to become more and more comfortable with the, the bulk of compensation going into a, a move like that. Yes, I did. I've, I had it from really close confidants, other people saying, man, do you understand your, your career is going to be hanging in, in peril if, if this doesn't work out with Julio? Um, I realized that. But I've also, I also realized through those first few years that playing teams like Philadelphia, and I've told Howie Rosen this all the time, though physically nowhere near similar, Deshaun Jackson used to irritate the hell out of me because every time we played him, he had us on our heels. He was such a good athlete player moving around. And I thought we need a player like that. So at that point we had Michael Turner, who was running his butt off. Of course we had 
We had traded, that was, we got him in 08 and 09. We had uh, Tony Gonzalez, who we traded for, who was vitally important. We felt we needed one more piece on that offense that was going to really pull it together as far as tools to surround Matt Ryan. And oh, by the way, great deal of respect for Bill Poley and watching what he did with Peyton Manning was always something that was a good lead for me. And I thought that we were going to go after a guy. And, and I talked to Arthur at length about it. Of course, Mike Smith and I talked at length about it. There was not a whole bunch of convincing of Mike Smith. I mean, he was in all the way from the very beginning to his credit. You know, so he knew that we had a quarterback and he knew that we needed this, this type of position. So it's a big choice. You know, again, back to we better do something now or again, we won't be, have a chance to be around here in two years, whatever that may be. That could not only be in the league, Kevin, but it could also be an ownership group who has, you know, little patience with, you know, X amount of years where you're not thriving in the playoffs. That becomes more and more the case. So anyone that I talk to, I, I have always said I would never do anything different, though. I got my butt kicked in a lot of different ways about it. I get it. You know, the, there were half the world that was thinking that, you know, my head was somewhere else and other people who were saying, well, maybe there is something there. And, you know, again, I've said this, I, I respect to the process. I mean, Julio to me is the first ballot hall of famer. You know, we were this close to, to uh, continuing to move on in, in 16 when that unbelievable catch off of Julio Jones. I mean, he's, he had done so many things for us over the years to get us very close. Unfortunately, we never pulled it off, but I, but I know that making a move like that, a la what, what Sam Fran did comes with a lot of pressure and you, you concern yourself with, the what ifs, and then you quickly brush it aside. Yeah, you won the trade, by the way. Congratulations. You, 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 everything's fine. <laughs> okay. It worked out. <laughs> okay. While we're talking about aggressive roster buildings, I want to get your perspective on the sort of rookie contract quarterback debate because that's obviously a nice thing to have, right? And it's something that a lot of teams would like to build around is a, is a good quarterback on a cheap contract. But you've had successful teams with... Quarterbacks who are earning plenty of money on the roster. So do you see that as, is that a nice bonus or is that something that you need is a strong word, but is that something that really should be thought of as a cornerstone for teams to build around is a quarterback on a rookie contract? Yeah. I, I mean, it's obviously important. You can do certain things and we've seen it time and again, different organizations who have rookie quarterbacks who are or rookie quarterback contracts and they're able to build. It's an amazing spot to be in. It's funny, however, when you're in the spot, when you start going into the second contract with the quarterback and the third contract, when you look at Arthur Blank and, and swallow deeply and say, yes, sir, he is worth $30 million a year. That was the biggest at the time. And obviously quickly, um, you know, uh, people went by him, but that was a, those are big things for us. And we get to a spot sometimes as team builders and you start saying, well, of course, when people are out there throwing darts at us because our salaries and our, and our caps are so high, of course they are. When you have fantastic quarterbacks or top tier quarterbacks that you're paying a lot of money to, now you have to be more creative and you have to be more creative with how you're doing, you know, putting together the rest of your, your roster. It becomes very complicated. It is so not an easy art. And I would say to you when people say, yeah, well, rookie contracts and then, you know, and we've had this com con uh, conversation as, as well, Kevin, I think the idea of moving on from that rookie quarterback. Man, if you have a quarterback that you think has taken you and you like in a lot of ways, they might not be perfect. And again, every one of these quarterback has a lot of really positives, but they also have some of their some of their issues that you, you know most teams would like to say, "I wish this guy was a little faster. I wish this guy had a longer you know longer gun." 
But in the end, full package, we have to keep this player. And we know it's going to cost us money. We just better be damn creative about how we're going to put together the rest of the roster. So, look, you you have to win with the right quarterback. And if that right quarterback is one run for you to get rid of that person before they get out of their rookie contract, I, I think is, is um, a little bit irresponsible. So I want to get your take on this. Just a couple more for you. Uh, obviously, there's a debate at the top of the draft after the quarterbacks. And it's really interesting to me because, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But when there's a bunch of quarterbacks taken in the top five or whatever it is, you look at 1999, it goes one through three. And then someone like Champ Bailey is available at eight. That's a Hall of Famer, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of interesting how how that how that shakes out. And when you look now, um, there is going to be a debate between Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell. And I'm curious how you view those positions as far as the value goes. And then secondarily, I'm, I'm interested in just who you think is, is the best non-quarterback in this draft. So first of all, I don't know if, if, if your listeners know this or if you guys do. I'm sure you, you probably do. Most organizations, and we were very particular about this, we are going to sit down not only with the head coach, of course, the coordinators and the position coaches, and we are going to truly spend time mapping out, especially when you get new head coaches in, mapping out the value across the board of all the offensive positions and all the defensive positions, ranking them. And then, then myself in, in this situation, Dan Quinn or Mike Smith would have sat down and talked about not only the offense and the defense, we would take everyone else out. And then we would rank across the board, the value and the importance one through how ma- however many positions we had on our board of the importance. So what that did for us is it, it really helped us create our own individual team values of how we looked at, you know, how we looked at um, what we're talking about here with, you know, a quarterback or a quarterback, a tight end, an offensive lineman or a receiver. That is really big for us. So back to 11 very quickly, of course, at that point, we knew that we had ranked very high. There's no way we would have ever done that if we had a receiver ranked, you know, seventh, eighth or ninth on our, on our board, as far as we wouldn't have put our organization in that spot. So to me, that is a very important thing. I personally, right now, to get to the, the, the point of uh, not contention, but discussion, you know, to take a tight end at four, for instance, which has been a big discussion point, it's complicated for me. And yet it's tough for me to say that after moving up as high as we did for Julio Jones. Because back to what I said earlier, Kev, if that organization feels come hell or high water, this is what is going to happen. Um, for this organization is going to be best for the organization. It's going to take them to another, another level. Then the value of that tight end over the offensive lineman is going to be higher. And back in the day, so to speak, there were a lot of old traditional situations where people would never do these moves. We've seen it over the last few years with this relatively younger group of general managers in their forties. Plus they have a different approach. And you and I have talked about this as well. There is so much creativity and so much, um, uh, I guess, you know, uh, I, I was, I'd say gambling in a sense, but making moves that normally wouldn't have happened 20 and 30 years ago, I don't believe. I think it's been fun to watch uh, as long as they're thought out. I think it's important. That's fascinating. Um, yeah, we, we, that's something we've talked to you and I talked about, Nora and I talked about it. I mean, the risks that you have to take in this league now um, are just so much greater than 15, 20 years ago when it was a more conservative league. All right, let's just get to some quick hits here at the end. Uh, two-part question. I'll start with the first part. If you could take a draft mulligan 
do one thing over, whether that's someone you passed on, whether that's someone you took or a process you got away from. We've had some really interesting answers from from executives. This is my um, favorite question. The last couple of weeks. What what's the one what if you think about with the draft that you would have you'd like to have a do over on? Look, I have I have a number of them. I mean, like everyone does, if everyone's being honest and, you know, I could, I could talk about a couple of defensive ends that we had the, the later uh, years before, you know, Dan and I were, were fired that they were tough to discuss. But the biggest one for me is going back to the year after the Julio trade, which was massive 2012 year. We don't have a first round pick. We end up taking Peter Kahn's in the second round. This was multi-layered as well. So Okay. Peter Kahn's like, okay, what's, what's the big deal? We took Peter Kahn's and Lamar Holmes, two offensive linemen. We thought we could continue to build because we had had all, we have all of our skill, uh, so-called, you know, how people refer to skill players in, in spot. And we, we picked Peter Kahn's to be our heir apparent at center. We move on from, from our center at the time. Um, and who was, who was a big part of Matt's success at the time. And we were, we were thinking it was time. It was time to bring in a youthful guy who could play some guard, but also move into center. And it was, it was a complete miss at, at a lot of levels organizationally, but ultimately it was in, it was in my, it was in my lap. I made the choice ultimately to go with, uh, you know, a guy that we thought was going to replace the center position. And we ended up bonking on that draft totally. And I think that pick was a catalyst for a 2012 draft that within a few years, no one was left in that draft. It was, it was just a really funky time for us. We came back the next year and I thought we did, we did well. Of course, sometimes you have to be jolted, but the Peter Kahn's pick was complicated for me. What do you think you missed there? Yeah, what was, it, what was the process mistake there? Look, I think the process mistake there was we had a lot of personnel people that were out on the road. We had so many people travel through there and he was, he was reported on glowingly from a personality standpoint and is a good person, don't get me wrong. But as far as the drive and the passion for the game and the want to be in it, 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 it was it was lacking. And, and for some reason, we were not able to dig up and 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 sort of foreshadow what we thought this man was going to be on our team. We were expecting him to be a pillar position guy, and he wasn't. Pierre Kahn's is a, a lawyer now. See, very, very, very uh, smart. I remember. I remember. I remember our conversations. (laughs) Um, All right. Flip side of that. What is one pick? Maybe it was a risk. Maybe you were thinking, maybe I have some butterflies in my stomach and it turned out you guys crushed it. Well, look, I I would say, you know, hmm, those are, those are complicated ones. We've, we've had a couple, we had a couple of players over the years that, you know, were, were higher picks that, that worked out, we think. So I don't know if they were really necessarily (laughs) um, butterflies. But I, I would say, you know, I, I really wanted to make sure that we were in the right place with Calvin Ridley. I mean, and I think Calvin is is the heir apparent. It was a butterfly pick more. You know, we were focused on on positions uh, and that position, but we had a couple other positions in mind. And we decided that this was the best position for us to take, uh, knowing that Julio was still around, but it could be an heir apparent. And I believe that he is a very good football player who could be an heir apparent at that position. Last question. Where are you? Are you in Colorado? I am uh, actually in Atlanta now. Oh, okay. Are you, are you, you took the RV down or did you fly? You know, I made my way back in my RV cause I was in it in, in Boulder and I, I did a little loop. I've done about four loops this off season cause I've had time to chase some snow out there and, and get on my mountain bike. So 
I got back into town about three days ago, and uh, here I am. Wow, what an adventure. Uh, give the people some recommendations. What are we listening to? What are we watching? I love talking about uh, stuff you're consuming uh, with you offline. What, 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 are we, what do we need to listen to or watch? So on the listen to side, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, staying, you know, in my, in my areas of interest, of course. So my football podcast, of course, are you guys, and that is the truth. It's, uh, you know, um, it's Steve Weish and Jim Trotter, yeah. as well as Love Albert Breer. All, all, all of those are, I think, are really, really solid and sound. They come up with really good information. And as well yeah. as Brother From Another with, with Michael Holly and, yeah. and Mike Smith. Two Michael Holly shout outs in this podcast. Wow. How about that? The legend. Right? Yeah. No, the legend. I know the legend, but so that, that from a listening standpoint on, on the football side, on the more life side, doctor's pharmacy by Mike Mark Hyman, very important broken brain by Drew Pruitt. These are, these are really cutting edge. Uh, I think medical um, and good medical podcasts that can bring us back to life when we know how important that is. Very important for me. And can I say one more essentialism? It's a book to read. It was came out in 14. Greg McEwen has another book coming out called Effortless. For those of us who understand the importance of the four-hour work week by, by Tim Ferriss. Who but you're a big Tim Ferriss guy. Love Tim Ferriss. That idea of you know, having balance in our world is so important. I alluded to it earlier with Trevor Lawrence. One of my favorite things about Thomas is the last, last summer we were on the phone for an interview. We talked for 20 minutes. And at the end of it, I, w- I was getting off the phone and he said, wait a second, let's talk about the New York Times Daily Podcast because I love this thing. And I was like, this is, I promise you there are not 31 other GMs who are going to end their conversation with, let's talk about Michael Barbaro. So that was uh, that was good. Have you heard of the High Performance Podcast, Thomas? You really like it. I discovered it last weekend. No, what is it? Who is it? It's this, uh, these English guys who just interview athletes and coaches about how to achieve high performance. And it's it's really good. It's really good. And I just stumbled upon it last week when I was looking for something. And uh, I, I think you, you, would, uh, you would enjoy it. Um, all right. Well, Nora, anything else? I wish I'd written these down. These are good recs. We can just re-listen. That's the beauty of podcasts. That's the beauty of podcasts. Just keep hitting podcast. 15 seconds back. Thomas Dimitrov, uh, one of our favorite people, uh, great football Appreciate mind. You. Thank you for joining the NFL show. You guys are great. Thanks. Nora, great talk, great episode. One week from the draft. I'm fired up. We're all fired up. We got a bunch of shows next week. Uh, I think we're going to have one more exciting guest, probably do a mailbag next week. I'm looking forward to it. We'll probably have the draft night and draft week schedule out pretty soon. Um, This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode came together thanks to the production work of production assistant Jonathan Karma with additional production supervision by Arjuna Ramgopal. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little 
sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 